Welcome market participants to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things in credit markets that caught our eye that we believe you should know about. And I'm going to say at the outset that I will only use the word transitory once, or I guess that's now two times. You've been warned. All right, let's get started. This week our three things are, one, the era of big government is back. This actually has a big impact on default rates. We'll tell you how. Two, we've updated our key themes in credit. Unlike the Fed statement, you won't need to perform forensic analysis on our key takeaways. And three, in this historically low-yielding environment, investors are increasingly getting out of their comfort zone in search of yield. We'll tell you where. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Wow, big government indeed. Wednesday's announcement by President Biden calling for an additional $1.8 trillion to fund his American Families Plan brings the total pandemic-era stimulus, assuming his latest two proposals are fully funded, to an unfathomable $10.2 trillion, roughly equal to 45% of nominal GDP. And yes, we're aware much of the latest $4-plus trillion is spread out over eight years, but you get the point. With a whole slew of planned tax hikes lined up to pay for it, this represents a serious redistribution of wealth. It also represents an unabashed endorsement of big government's ability to do good things, standing as an affront to Ronald Reagan's nine most terrifying words, quote, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. We'll let you decide on how you feel about that. But let's overlay this philosophy on top of credit markets. We were struck this week by research put out by Deutsche Bank that made a strong case that big government is effectively dampening the credit cycle, at least in terms of defaults. Follow their logic. Quote, after several cycles of repeated intervention, explicit and implicit, and associated debt accumulation, the authorities couldn't allow a free market response to the pandemic. Unquote. In other words, high levels of defaults would not be tolerated. It's tough to argue. Politically, consider this. Why would politicians make hard decisions allowing large firms to fail when the resulting credit-crunch-driven recession will get you, Mr. President, and your party thrown out of office? Here's Deutsch's view. Quote, Anything that encourages investors to believe that the authorities will step back from such aggressive support could lead to a mass wave of selling and systemic levels of defaults soon after, unquote. Doesn't sound very appetizing. The incentive, always look for the incentive, is for the government to self-preserve by signaling to the market that it's got your back, Mr. or Ms. credit investor. Don't you worry, QE is locked and loaded and helicopter money is standing by. Defaults be damned, economy saved question is, at what cost? One cost is the creation of zombie companies that are allowed to muck up the competitive playing field by underpricing its good or service. Creative destruction, so essential in a vibrant, growing economy, is hampered. The end result is structurally lower growth. We've seen this play out in Japan and in Europe for some time now. And maybe that's why we are witnessing China all of a sudden allowing companies to fail, perhaps understanding the risks of allowing weak firms to muddle along. 
And maybe that's why the Fed's long-term growth rate for the U.S. is a rather anemic 1.8%. Okay, on to our second thing, our updated themes and credit. Don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. We recently completed an update on where credit stands at this stage of the pandemic. Here are our key takeaways. One, we expect the wind at the back of credit to continue in 2021 with a comparatively high degree of certainty. Two, we expect financial conditions to remain highly favorable through 2021. Three, we expect individuals' balance sheets in the aggregate to remain strong. Four, we expect corporate earnings to be up strongly over 2020, that's an easy call, but also solidly high single digits over 2019. And five, in terms of risks, we believe pandemic-related risks and geopolitical risks are greater than consensus calls for, and we are less concerned about inflation. All right, a bit of color around each point. One, win at the back of credit. Because of the unique shock that is the pandemic, credit is benefiting from two exogenous forces, massive stimulus and the belief that science has cured the problem. Stimulus, currently at 29% of GDP and projected to be all the way up to 45% of Biden's $4 trillion infrastructure and social safety net bills get passed fully funded, far exceeds the hole blown in the economy by COVID-19. And there is widespread belief that the vaccines will pave the way to a return to not only normal, but a whole new cycle of expansion. Now, we're somewhat skeptical on that point, particularly in terms of the strength of that projected expansion, but let's see how that plays out. Two, financial conditions to remain highly favorable. The Fed has signaled it has credit investors back, and what few blow-ups have occurred have been highly idiosyncratic, the possible exception of energy. And U.S. exceptionalism has been on display via its vaccine rollout and ability to deliver difference-making stimulus. Expect valuations to remain stretched, but stable. Three, strength of the consumer. The middle and upper class job market has been very durable, and their balance sheet in the aggregate is fortified by soaring home and stock market values. The sector is in a position to drive economic growth toward 7% in 2021 and 4 plus percent in 2022. Four, strong corporate earnings. Aided by the wide-ranging benefits of stimulus, top and bottom line growth are expanding for most sectors, compared to not only 2020, but 2019 as well. Should more bullish forecasts develop, even struggling cyclicals, such as energy, could rebound. Five, risks. Don't lose sight of how anti-vaxxers and viral mutations could be a lasting drag on economic growth. We haven't or geopolitical risks, with U.S.-China relations topping the list and Russia lurking. As for inflation, it will certainly feel like we are at risk in Q2 and Q3, but we would echo Chair Powell's view that this pressure is transitory. There's that word. The real risks are in the out years as stimulus wears off. All right, on to our third thing. Off the run is on order. A constant theme we hear from investors is the need to go out of their comfort zones into asset classes that are yieldier for sure, 
but more illiquid and in some respects riskier than they otherwise prefer. That sentiment has clearly come through in recent surveys of investors that we've come across. Insurance companies, pension funds, and active money managers are all in the same boat. And complicating things is the threat of rising rates as a significant headwind. Credit asset classes seeing more interest than in the past include middle market corporate loans, infrastructure debt, and emerging market corporate debt. Down the credit spectrum, asset-backed securities such as triple B and double B CLOs and triple B CMBS, and ABS with esoteric commercial assets. All are getting interest as investors scour the landscape to find yield in a world where yields in both investment grade and high yield are at or near historic lows. And it's not likely to change in our opinion, at least over the near term. Thematic strategies becoming more commonplace include identifying rising stars, made plentiful by sharp positive swings in fortune that happened to many firms over the past 12 months, consolidation targets, of which there are many in a world where technology is revolutionizing so many businesses and where the strong are getting stronger, and reopening reflation trades where hard-hit sectors are now poised to recover in a post-pandemic world. ESG favorable assets is another favored strategy now that it has gone mainstream in the U.S., catching up to their brethren in Asia and Europe. And we would remind investors that ESG creates opportunities two ways. One, riding the wave of demand for ESG favorable assets exceeding supply. And two, unfavorable ESG assets that offer superior risk reward as a result of significantly reduced buying interest where ESG is not a consideration. In a nutshell, investors are being confronted with having to trade liquidity, simplicity, and possibly ESG favorability for yield in this environment. And that's something we do not expect to change much over the course of at least this year. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, the era of big government is back. This actually has a big impact on default rates. Two, we've updated our key themes in credit. Unlike the Fed statement, you won't need to perform forensic analysis on our key takeaways. And three, in this historically low-yielding environment, investors are increasingly getting out of their comfort zone in search of yield. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest rating reports and research. See you next week.